Well, welcome, Restoration to Church Online. If you're new to our church, thanks so much for joining us. My name is Ron Johnson. Hope to meet you at some point in the future. Uh, these are strange, strange times we're living in. We're now sheltering in place, and that has all kinds of implications for our lives. Uh, I'm here in, a, in our church building. Normally, I have chairs here, and uh, I'm up there on the stage. It's really different. Uh, we've been considered by our governor an essential business, thank God. And so I'm here with a few of us. We're practicing good social distancing habits, but I miss you guys. It's so strange to be talking to a camera. You can see me, but I can't see you. It's so strange not to be able to shake your hands and to hug you and to mess up the hair of your kids downstairs. It's so strange not to be outside in our connection area drinking coffee with you. But we're going to make the most of this. And so I thought, well, what better way to embrace the strangeness of this time in our lives where some of you are losing your job, some of you are really hurting financially, others of you have never been busier, you've never made more money, what better way to embrace the strangeness of what we're experiencing than by talking about a strange story in the Bible today? So this weekend, we're looking at the story of Joseph. It's in uh, chapter, chapters 37 through 50 in the book of Genesis. His story is about a man who saved the Middle East during a time of great famine. And the story goes like this. When, when Joseph was 17 years old, he was the 11th of 12 brothers. And his father loved him. In fact, he loved him more than he loved his other brothers. And his brothers hated him for this because he was a daddy's boy. And his dad exacerbated the problem by doing things like buying the brothers H&M clothing that would wear out quickly. And he would get, he would get Joseph like Patagonia and, and Lululemon clothing and and so they hated him for that. And they hated him because he was a snitch. He, he would spy on his brothers. His brothers were all shepherds. And he would go out and he would watch what they were doing out in the fields. And, and he would notice they were chasing women from other tribes and they were fighting and quarreling. And, and he would go home and he would tell his father, Jacob, about what his brothers were doing. And so his brothers just hated him more and more. And then to make things even worse, Joseph had this gift of spiritual dreams. God, God would give him dreams and they would come true. And so he would go into the living room and he would tell stories about how he had had this dream where the sun and the moon and 11 stars had bowed before him. He would have dreams about, about 11 sheaves of wheat bowing down to him, the 12th sheave of wheat. And he would go into the family living room when they were having hummus and, and he could smell lamb chops and, and he would walk in, he'd tell his family these dreams and they would be like, What? You think one day we're going to bow before you and worship you? And so his brothers hated him more and more all the time. And so one day, one day, Jacob sent Joseph out into the fields to check on his brothers and to bring them provisions and to spy on them. And so as they saw him off in the distance, they decided, you know what? We're through with this guy. We're going to off him. And so they plotted to kill him. The older brother, the oldest of the 12, Reuben said, no, let's not kill him. Let's just put him in the cistern. Cisterns is just a tank of water. But this tank of water was empty. So they put him down the cistern and they thought, well, maybe we just leave him here. You know, let, let him dehydrate or something. And off in the distance, they saw these Ishmaelites. Um, the Ishmaelites were the forefathers of the Arabic people. And they were in this caravan and they were, they were going to Egypt. And they, they came upon the cistern looking for water for their, their animals and, and for themselves. And they, they had this conversation with Joseph's brothers and they said, what's up with this dude down in the cistern? And he says, ah, that's, that's our brother, and we, we can't stand him. We're trying to figure out what to do with him. 
And the Ishmaelites said, well, you know what? We could take him off your hands. And so Joseph's brothers sold him to the Ishmaelites for the equivalent of $5. They sold their brother for $5. Well, the Ishmaelites took him to Egypt because Egypt was like the the commerce center of the Middle East at that time. And they were going to export and import and trade and buy their wives, maybe some Egyptian cotton sheets. And they sold Joseph there to a man named Potiphar. Uh, Potiphar was very powerful. He, he was one of the governing officials under Pharaoh. In fact, Pharaoh was his direct report, the most powerful man in the Middle East at that time. And, and Potiphar had a large household, many slaves. He had many businesses. And, and, and he noticed that, that Joseph uh, was really smart and he was a quick learner. And so he began to give him responsibilities in his household. And eventually, Joseph became his COO, overseeing all of his businesses. Well, it, it says in scripture that, that Joseph was very good looking and he was well built and Potiphar's wife was kind of a cougar. Doesn't say that in scripture, but you kind of get the idea that she liked younger guys. And so she was constantly trying to seduce Joseph and get him to go to bed with her. And, and one day he, he, she got really, really aggro and she grabbed him and brought him into her bedroom and he escaped. But when he ran off, she had his cloak, his Patagonia cloak. And she told the servants what had happened. And she said, he's tried to seduce me. He tried to rape me. And this got word back to Potiphar. He found out what had happened. And Potiphar was very, very mad, as you can understand. And he sent Joseph to prison. And so you see this pattern in Joseph's life, this series of unfortunate events. And so he goes to prison and he starts all over again at the bottom. And he begins to rise up because God's favor was upon him. And Joseph was a leader and he was skilled and he was always learning and he sought God for wisdom. And so, so Joseph became the leader of all these prisoners. Well, because he had this ability to interpret dreams, whenever a prisoner would have a dream and would be troubled and try to figure out what's the dream mean, uh, Joseph would interpret the dreams. And one day these two men came to him and one man had had a nightmare the night before and the other had had a really great dream. And so he interpreted these two dreams and they went out three days later the day of Pharaoh's birthday, and both dreams were fulfilled. One man died that day, and the other man became the cupbearer for Pharaoh himself. The cupbearers would taste wine, and they would try food to make sure that nothing was poisoned. And, 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 and this man who had been released from prison because of Joseph's interpretation of his dream forgot all about Joseph for many, many years. Well, Pharaoh had two dreams that greatly troubled him. In one dream, there were seven really sleek, beautiful, fat cows. I mean, think like filet mignon cows. Think like park burger. Think like you're in your backyard flipping great burgers. And they're beautiful, beautiful cattle. And on the other side of these cattle, there were these seven gangly, sickly-looking cows. Uh, they had dung all over them. They smelled terrible. They looked terrible. And these, these seven gangly cows ate the beautiful, sleek cows that could have been used for part burger hamburgers. And, and Pharaoh woke up from this dream. He was very, very troubled. He couldn't understand what it meant, but he knew that it was an important dream. He just did not know how to interpret it. A few nights later, he, he had a second dream. And, and in this dream, there, there were these, these seven beautiful stalks of wheat. Uh, think like Ezekiel 4-9 bread. And there were seven really small, pathetic stalks of wheat with no grain at the top of them. 
And again, the same thing happened. The seven weak stalks of wheat ate the seven beautiful stalks of wheat that could have been used for all kinds of bread and pita bread and hummus, that kind of thing. And, and again, he was troubled and he couldn't figure out what this dream meant. And so he asked all of the intellectual elites, all, all, all the scholars and all of the, the people that were known for being able to interpret dreams to come together into his house and they tried to interpret the dream, but none of them could figure it out. And the cupbearer who was over, over listening or listening to this, this discussion, he thought to himself, you know, I, I know a guy, I know a guy that he interpreted a dream for me many years ago. And then he started to feel guilty because he, he didn't go back and help Joseph, even though Joseph helped him get out of prison. And he told Pharaoh, I know this guy, his name is Joseph, and he's in prison right now, but he has the ability to interpret dreams. And he interpreted my dream, and he was accurate. So what if I go get him? And so Pharaoh allowed him to summon Joseph to his house, and, and Pharaoh shared the two dreams, and Joseph said, the God I serve, the God I worship, knows how to interpret this dream. And he said, Pharaoh, these two dreams represent the same thing. In Egypt, there'll be seven years where there's just a J-curve in terms of the economy. Uh, There's going to be a bull market and things will be up and to the right and God's going to prosper you and there'll be great herds and there'll be great, great uh, agricultural produce. And then it'll be followed by seven years of famine. There'll be a depression and people will starve and herds will die. And this will affect everyone in Egypt and all around Egypt. And so Pharaoh realized this man is speaking the truth. God had given him the, uh, the interpretation of the dream. And so he said, you know, you're pretty smart. I, I want to I add you to my cabinet. And just had it happened every time in Joseph's life, he started at the bottom but worked his way up. And eventually he became the vice president, the second most powerful person in all of Egypt. Well, seven great years. And Joseph was a smart business guy. He stored up grain. And he, he created margins so that when the seven bad years came along, the Egyptians would have food. And sure enough, the famine began and the depression sank in and people started to die all around the Egyptians, but the Egyptians were taken care of. And people from other nations and tribes would, would come to Egypt to try and get food. And one of those tribes was the tribe of Israel. At that point, they're a very small clan of people. And so Jacob, the father of Joseph, sent 10 of his brothers to come to Egypt to get grain. And they stood right there before Joseph because he would, he would inspect the people from other nations to make sure they weren't spying. And he recognized his brothers, but his brothers didn't recognize him. He'd grown up, he had a beard, and he spoke Egyptian. And so he invited his brothers over for dinner. And he talked to them through an interpreter and he learned about his father and his mother and he just lost his stuff. He had to excuse himself and go to the bathroom and he began to weep. And he began to cry because he grieved so much the loss of his family, all these years that he missed out on being a part of what was happening back in Israel. And so restoration, let me do a little sidebar here for a second. I'll come back to the story in just a moment. But we're going to have losses. During this pandemic, there will be losses. Some of you have already lost your jobs. Some of you know somebody who's, who's already been affected, who's sick. I've got a friend right now. He used to be a professional soccer player. He's in his mid-40s. He's strong. He's healthy. And on Facebook, he's been sharing with his friends how this is the the sickest he's ever been in his whole life. We're going to have friends who get sick. Some of us may know somebody who dies from this. We're going to experience losses, health losses. We're going to probably all know somebody who died from this. We're going to have economic losses. We're going to lose jobs. We're going to have to grieve. 
We're going to have to learn to lament. We're going to have to learn how to grieve with hope. Um, In coming weeks, as we experience losses, we're going to learn how to do that. That's what Joseph did. God wants us to grieve with hope so that we can stay emotionally and spiritually healthy. Okay, back to the story. Um, Joseph, he washes off his face, and and he comes back out, and, and he decides he wants his family to come to Egypt, so he accuses his brothers of being spies, which is really ironic because that's what they used to accuse him of. He accuses them of being spies, and he says, I don't think you're telling me the truth. And, and so they say, well, how do we prove it to you? And they started getting really scared. And he said, I'll tell you what, we'll leave Simeon here. You go back. And if you have a younger brother, which you say you do, bring him back. And if I meet him, I'll know you're telling the truth. So they go back to Israel and they explain this whole thing to their father, Jacob. And Jacob's like, uh-uh. No, I've already lost one son. I'm not going to lose another son. But eventually the famine becomes so bad that they are desperate. And so they send their youngest brother, Benjamin, back with them. And when Joseph sees Benjamin with his other 10 brothers, he loses it again. And he, just, he grabs Benjamin and he begins to weep and he begins to, to cry and he begins to kiss Benjamin's head. And, and they're like, what in the world is going on? Why is this Egyptian acting this way? And then he, he reveals himself and he starts speaking in Hebrew. And he reveals to them that he is their brother. And in that moment, they all just fall down before him. And, and that dream where the 11 sheaves of wheat bow before the one sheaf of wheat takes place. It, it, it's realized. They, they bow before him. They prostrate themselves before him. And, and, and they say, oh, please forgive us. Please forgive us. And he's like, ah, get up, you guys. Get up. I'm not going to hurt you. I'm not, I'm not like you. I, I, I'm going to take care of you. And, and he, he embraces them. They have this great big brotherly group hug. And they spend the next few days just catching up. And, 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 and Joseph tells them how God had blessed them and given him favor so that he could be used to save their lives. He says, go back, go back and get Jacob. Go back, get, get, get her mom, get her cousins, get her, bring the herds back, leave your, leave your stuff, your belongings behind. I'll take care of you. I'm going to give you the best that Egypt has to offer. You're all going to sleep on Egyptian cotton sheets. It's going to be great. And so they go back, they get their father, they come back and, and, and Joseph's father and mother and all 11 brothers, they bow before him again in fulfillment of a dream he had many decades earlier. Restoration, I want to remind you that if God has given you a dream, he will fulfill it. He always fulfills the dreams that he gives us. Well, the story ends this way. In Genesis chapter 50, verse 15, it says, when Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, after 17 years of being in Egypt, Jacob passes away. They said, what if, what if, What if Joseph bears a grudge against us and pays us back in full for all the wrong which we did to him? What if their hearts were full of fearful what if questions? What if he chooses to not forgive us? What if the whole thing was just a ruse? He was just forgiving us for a time while our father was alive, but now that he's dead, what if if he chooses to take revenge? What if he kills us? What if he kills our wives? What if he kills our children? What if he sends us out in the desert to die? What if he takes our herds? What if he takes us uh, away from all the privileges that he's given us, including those Egyptian cotton sheets? What if, what if, all these fearful what if questions they began to ask? Well, can you relate? I know I can. Um, Every time we watch the news, every time there's a new twist in the story, 
Every time we hear about a death count in Spain or Italy, we're asking what if questions. Fearful, fearful what if questions. If you're human, you're asking fearful what if questions right now. What if my business goes under? What if I lose my job? Some of you have already lost your job. What if I can't pay my rent? What if I can't feed my kids? What if somebody I love dies from this? We're all asking these type of questions right now. I know I am. I have a wife that has an autoimmune deficiency. She has rheumatoid arthritis. I love her dearly. I love her so dearly. And I, my mind starts to get carried away. And I start going, what if she gets this? What will she make it? I have a one-year-old. I have a two-year-old. What if they get this? I mean, you can't quarantine your kids. You don't put your kids in a room and put gummy bears and instructions on how to change their diapers underneath the, the doorway. You can't do that. What, what if they get this? What if we all get this? What if people I know that are older, including my sisters, what if they get this? What if they don't make it? Um, what if, what if, we're going to be very generous as a church right now, but what if, what if uh, we don't have enough money to help people? And what if I can't down the road pay payroll and take care of my staff? I love my staff. I'm, I'm here in a room full of staff and I love them so much. What if, I, I get carried away with all these fearful what if questions. It's human nature to ask those questions. But there's another way we can navigate these questions. How we can do what Joseph did. When Joseph's brothers were asking fearful what if questions, Joseph was asking faithful, faith-filled what if questions. So in Genesis chapter 50, verses 20 through 21, the story, the story ends this way. Joseph says to his brothers, you intended to harm me. You intended to harm me. But God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So then don't be afraid. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. I will provide for you and your children. Restoration, let's let that be a word to us right now. God has always been our provider. He will provide for us and our friends and our family members and our children. And then it says, he reassured them and spoke kindly to them. You see, Joseph was asking faithful what if questions. And so he does a little review with his, his brothers. He says, what if the reason I was the favored child was so that you would hate me, so that you would, you would want to sell me to the Ishmaelites, so they would bring me to Egypt and I would become a slave, a slave to Potiphar who was very powerful, and so that I would eventually go to prison because of Potiphar's wife, the cougar, and that eventually I would interpret dreams, and eventually I would, I would become the second most powerful man in the, the whole Middle East because of the gifts and skills that God has given me. And what if God did all of this so I could save you guys, so I could save my family, so I could save Israel. Now, that's probably as far as Joseph's mind went when he said, you intended to harm me, but God intended for good, the saving of many lives. But let's think about this. Let, let's go back in time. Israel, 400 years later, they left Egypt to go back to the promised land, and there God prospered them, and they grew to be very numerous. And out of, out of Israel came the Messiah, the Savior of the world, Jesus Christ, who saves us from our sin. Jesus Christ, who came to show us what God is like. Jesus Christ, who came to give us Easter resurrection hope so we could know that one day we too arise from the dead. The Savior of the world was saved in part 
because of Joseph and how God used Joseph to save his family. Is that a mind blower? You see, Joseph was in the habit of asking faithful what if questions. And so restoration, what if? What if we replace our fearful what if questions with faith-filled what if questions? Now, I know that some of you are doing this right now. You're, you're wondering, where, what is God doing? He's sovereign. He's in control. We feel out of control, but he is in control. You know, what if some bat bit some cat? My theory is this whole thing started with a cat, by the way. What if a bat maybe bit a, bit a cat and, and that somebody pet the cat and they ate some food and then this virus was created and spreading all over the world and it's horrible. We're praying for a cure. But what if, what if God's going to use this pandemic that he did not cause that just was the result of, of various circumstances and occurrences and, and human mistakes. What if God wants to use this horrible thing, this pandemic that we're all experiencing right now, what, what if he wants to use it to bring about the salvation of thousands, if not millions of people? I, I, I know you, many of you are thinking this way. You're thinking about what if God wants to use this to help me ask deeper questions? Many of us are slowing down right now. We're reflecting on what really matters. Uh, many of us are followers of Jesus. And if we're honest, our faith has been weak. It's been lukewarm. We've been apathetic. You, you know, when we're experiencing God's blessings, it's just human nature to ignore God and to, to be undisciplined and be lazy and, and to not pursue God and to not go to church and not read our Bibles. Well, now you have time to do these things. What if God's using this to revive your faith? That's what some of you are thinking. What, what if God is using this to bring awakening, to, to help people become spiritually woke, people who've been asleep, People who've been so busy traveling and doing things, a lot of fun, which nothing wrong with that, but they've not given, given thought life and, and time to investigate the claims of Christ and decide what they should actually truly be placing their faith in. Well, what if God is doing all kinds of great things? He's bringing friendship circles together. Single people are getting closer to their friendship circle. What if, what if families are getting closer? What if, what if some of you wives who've been praying for a really long time, that your husband will, would watch sports less often and invest more time and energy into you and your kids? Well, ladies, your prayer is being answered. What if God is doing all kinds of good things, connecting us to ourselves, to our souls, to each other, and to himself through this horrible pandemic? I, I've been trying to ask faithful what if questions. And I see a church that's being revived. Um, last week, we had more people go online with our small groups than typically meet live. We're starting new small groups right now. In fact, our small groups are meeting more often. We've got small groups meeting more than once a week. They're playing games one time a week. They're doing content, and, and they're encouraging each other and praying once a week, and they're connecting on phones during the week. We're, we're seeing a revival, I believe, taking place right now in our church. We're also seeing an awakening uh, typically on a weekend, we'll have just short of 600 people come to our services. Last weekend, 1,229 people came online and heard the gospel. And I believe many people gave their lives to Jesus Christ last week. There's an awakening taking place. People are waking up. I'm also seeing you guys be very, very compassionate. Uh, you, you are doing good deeds and people are seeing your good deeds and they're realizing it's because of the light of Christ within you. And they're giving glory to our Heavenly Father. You're helping each other out. There are people in our church who are helping people who, who, who have significant needs, who are losing jobs, or who are in the serving industry. Um, if, if you go to our compassion page right now, you can see ways that people have resources are connecting with people who have needs. And that's happening inside of our church and outside of our church. We have people who are helping 
families locally who are on subsidized meal plans have food during the week. We have, we have people who are helping refugees. We have people who are helping the homeless. Let me end with this story. Uh, Mark O'Brien is one of our church planters. And for many years, he's been helping people on Colfax. And, and the vision, the dream that God has given him that I believe God will fulfill is that Colfax will one day become a boulevard of hope. And so people in our church have been bringing tarps and sleeping bags and supplies because the homeless people in the city do not want to be in sheltered centers right now. That's just a way of getting COVID-19. They're, they're spreading out. The government can't help them. And so people like Mark and people like people in our church who are helping him, they're, they're serving the homeless together. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing. Restoration, I, I believe God's using this pandemic to help us be more compassionate than ever. So here, here's my ask this week of you. When, when you're tempted to ask fearful what-if questions, what if right after that you ask faithful what-if questions? Now, the former will lead to anxiety and stress and anger and depression and potentially addiction. And the latter, faithful what-if questions will lead to hope and peace and joy and contentment. Restoration, here's my takeaway. Every time you find yourself asking a fearful what-if question, let's ask faithful what-if questions instead. Can I hear an amen from anybody out there? I think I'm hearing them. All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, uh, we are so tempted to dwell on all the things that could go wrong. Our hearts are full of fearful what-if questions. And that's just human nature. But I pray this week, as your church, that every time we ask a fearful what-if question, we would follow it with a faithful what-if question. You're up to so much good right now. You're bringing about revival and awakening, and you're, you're leading us to be compassionate. And so I pray this week that we would ask faithful what-if questions, and we would see your faithfulness in our lives and in the lives of those we serve. This is our prayer. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, I actually think I can hear you. All right, one more thing, and then I'll close. Uh, many of you who are watching this message, uh, you know that you've been placing your faith historically in things that are shallow and weak, and, and you're fearful because you've placed your faith in the wrong things. I want to give you the opportunity right now to place your faith in God, your creator. He sent Jesus Christ to show you what he's like so you could see God in the flesh. He sent Jesus Christ into the world to die for you on the cross to show you how much he loves you. He sent Jesus Christ in the world so you give up your self-salvation efforts. You can't impress God enough with your good deeds. Instead, he wants you to receive his grace, his mercy, his love. He wants you to place his, your faith in Jesus Christ. And so if that's what you want to do right now, please pray with me this prayer. Jesus, right now, I confess I place my faith in the wrong things. And so right now I'm choosing to place my faith in you. I give you my life for yours. I believe you died for me on the cross to show me the love of God. I believe you died for me on the cross to unleash your grace in this world and to part your grace upon me. And so right now, I receive your grace. I receive your salvation. I receive your forgiveness. Right now, I choose to follow you. I want to be your disciple. I, I want to learn your teachings. I want to apply them to my life. I want to become more and more like you. Um, use me 
to spread faith and hope and compassion and joy in this world. This is my prayer, and if it's your prayer right now, say amen. Say amen, which means yes, yes, this is my prayer. And if you just prayed that prayer, if you're not already on, in our chat, go to our chat and raise your hand. There's a little icon where you can raise your hand because we want to celebrate the fact that, that right now you've just given your life to Jesus Christ. All right, Restoration, we're going to continue right now uh, with worship. Uh, you can take communion in your homes. I want to encourage you, come back next week. Um, next week is Palm Sunday weekend. We're going to remember the, the Passion Week of Jesus. We're going to prepare our hearts for Easter. The title of the message is Contagious. We're going to learn how to have a contagious faith. Can't wait to, wait to see you then. Well, can't wait to be with you then. You'll be watching me. I won't be watching you. But love you guys so much. Next week, we'll see you. Take care. <laughs>